Well, hey, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of Faith and Friends. I'm your host, your friend, and your sister in Christ, Georgia Brown. And truly, today's conversation is one we need to have. Let me ask you, what is your relationship with food? Do you see food as fuel? Have you maybe come into a deep friendship with food? Maybe it's something that has been hard for you in your story. I get it. I have been there. And today's friend, Leslie, is really going to help us with this. She has a new book out called Feed Yourself, Step Away from the Lies of Diet Culture and Into Your Divine Design. Now, this book helps us understand the diet culture myths alongside fighting the lies that we have been told and sold alongside then discovering the truth truly about health and wellness. Leslie is a master's level registered dietitian who specializes in disordered eating, sports nutrition, family nutrition, and weight concerns. And so truly, she is a pro when it comes to this subject. But when she talks, y'all, she shares with such grace and truth and honesty. And she has a heavenly lens as she views all of this. And I'm so grateful for that as we step into this conversation today. So truly, I pray that this episode meets you right where you're at, that it blesses you. And for me personally, I found a lot of freedom in this conversation and I pray you do too. So, all right, let's just go ahead and dive right in. Well, Leslie, seriously, thank you so much for joining us on Faith and Friends. This is going to be a powerhouse conversation. I already feel it. I'm excited. And thank you so much for having me on. Girl, absolutely. This is your second book that is releasing called Feed Yourself. Golly, that is such a strong title with such a strong subtitle. Step away from the lies of diet culture and into your divine design. Truly, it is a divine design that is being trying to be stolen away by all these lies that can honestly be twisted to seem like truth. Oh, and yes. <laughs> golly, I've fallen for it before. And so... Leslie, take me back because obviously you wrote this from a very honest place and you've seen the lies and now you're done with it and you're ready to poke holes in it and lead people to the truth. So take me back. Why did you write this book? It's interesting because it's been on my heart for like a decade or more. So I'm I'm a registered dietitian, nutrition therapist, um, was trained kind of heavy in, in diet culture. Like, and when I'm talking about diet culture, what I mean by that is kind of this system that has its web and pretty much everything in our entire culture. So when you say I've fallen victim to it, like we all have, cause we, we live here and it's sold as truth, but it's this system really of oppression that equates thinness and weight loss with health and worthiness. Mm -hmm. And it is so tied up in health and appearance and righteousness, sadly, at times that we accept it as truth. And so as a dietitian, um, you know, I would joke when I'm like, when I was a baby dietitian, like I was, I was, I kind of peddled diet culture. And I talk about that a little bit and how I got so lucky to, um, be supervised myself by these wonderful, wonderful um, mental health professionals that grew me professionally and grew me um, personally and, and landed at um, kind of my home church at that time in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, So, which was just 
So wonderful. And to, I got to work with a lot of the staff at that church and then growing myself as a professional and as a Christian. And I just saw it intersect a lot and you see it in the safe places. And when a client would sit across from me and feel like they were wrong for like not living in a body that this culture said that they should live in, like something was wrong with them and that they were unpleasing to God. Like it broke my heart open. And Mm -hmm. for years I've been working on this book. Like you, if you've talked to people who talked to me 10 years ago, they're like, Oh yeah, I heard Leslie talk about that. But so, and I know in your other podcast, you, you say, you know, for, for such a time as this and my women's ministry leader at the time when I was in Memphis, she was like, Leslie, you got to do this book. Like, I know this needs to be in the hands of people who are being held hostage in diet culture. And it just kept happening. Like I kept getting just this strong feeling that it had to happen and then worked so hard on the proposal and, and then COVID. (laughs) (laughs) But it all, you know, it all worked out because I um, have a different agent for this book that I had for my first book, because the agent for my uh, other book was like, that's not my genre. So you'll be better suited with this person. And so um, my agent, it landed on her desk. And the very next day she was like, I am all the way here for this. I have suffered at the hands of diet culture in the safe places for 30 years and I am so ready to be free and I'm so ready for this message. And God took it and ran with it because if it was up to me, I'd be like, I'm tired of you project never happening. (laughs) And then here we are, here we are. Mm. For such a time as this. I mean, it is so needed. And, and even to, to have the publisher say, I believe in you. I need this message for me. That's the whole reason why you wrote this is for the one you, you sat on the other side with this client and then your proposals on the desk. And now it's going to be on the shelf and now into the hands of so many of us, including me who need this because the lies can be seeming so real and so loud. And especially when you're driving down the highway in Nashville and you see a billboard of a girl whose stomach is this big and probably airbrushed all the way through. And that's not even really her. And, and you think, do I need to look like that? Is that what actually pleases God? Is that what's going to get me the attention of the man of God? Is this what I need to look like to be loved, to even yeah. love myself? And yeah. man, oh man, like I, I wasn't intentionally trying to go on a diet, but my, oh my, my senior year of college, Leslie, I was so stressed and just overwhelmed with even the transition of life that was about to take place. I went mm-hmm. from a size eight to a size zero in like two months because mm-hmm. I I was walking a little bit, but I was so stressed and I wasn't yeah. eating and, and that became so unhealthy so quickly. And I thought, oh, when I'm skinnier, I'll be happier. But I was just even forgetting to eat. But even when I looked in the mirror, I felt hollow. I didn't feel whole because this this body is not my own and it's fading. And I think, too, what's so beautiful about your industry that you're in with being a dietitian and all these beautiful things is 
Christians often think, well, maybe I just need to be in the church to to be a Christian when really the Lord's like, no, yes, there's vocational ministry, but I've also called you outside of the walls to go into the marketplace, to go into these places for you to be the light in the darkness. And so for you to be a believer, to be a follower of Jesus, and then be in this culture, in this sphere of, of health. My gosh, we need it. And you can see it through the eyes in the lens of heaven and say, hey, this is actually a lie that you have been sold and I've bought into, but now let's break through this. I would love for you to share with us, what are three lies that we have been told and sold about our bodies? Oh, goodness. Well, I'd say the first one is that your weight equals your health. Mm. And, And so that is such a lie. And first of all, Um, Diet culture leads us to believe that we're in charge of our weight. We're in control of our weight, but we're not. (laughs) Um, Genetics, you know, and like God's in charge of that. And like, like we have no trouble, you know, understanding that I wear a size nine shoe and somebody else wears a seven shoe. Somebody wears a 10 shoe and somebody wears a six shoe. Nobody's like, oh, we better do something about that. You know, we're just like, that is is what what it is. is. Right. And bodies are the same thing or the same way. Like we're genetically designed to some people carry more fat than other people. Some people have more muscle mass than other people. Some people are taller. Some people are shorter because it's by design Mm. and the number on the scale. um, And this is because it's been tied up in health. And so like we've been led to believe because we get, you know, weight checked every time we walk into a health office, um, that it's so, so important. And then we find it connected to our health, connected to our value, our worthiness, but it's, it's a lie. Your weight is not related very much at all to your health and or your worthiness but we because sometimes we connect those two together they kind of run together um the other thing is um and i think this is a big one in christian spaces that like when we desire food or really enjoy food or find pleasure in food that we're gluttonous Mm. um And I see when I talk about diet culture in the safe places, I talk about how some of these things that we talk about in our Christian spaces or places of worship that are really viewed through a diet culture lens instead of this lens of grace and love. And this has come to me through 20 plus years of having a client sit across from me that sits down brokenhearted and says, I can can figure out everything in my life. I'm successful. I love God. I love my family, but I can't get a hold of this food thing. Mm. And then they feel like they're gluttonous for feasting. Jesus feasted. They feel like they're gluttonous for eating more than they think they should at the end of the day when it's your very wise body saying, Girl, you're hungry. You did not eat enough today. (laughs) You know, you trying to air quote, be good in diet culture led you to not feed yourself during the day. And you're hungry now. This is your very wise body. Mm -hmm. And so like, I really think that when, when we, we can use that word really in a weaponized way um, and make people believe that something God created as 
good and pleasurable, which is feeding yourself, um, to, to be wrong. And, uh, and diet culture is like, Ooh, that's a good one. I'm gonna run with that. <laughs> you know, I'm mm-hmm. going to make people feel, um, unworthy of feeding themselves. And so that's one of, one of them. And the other thing, um, a lie of diet culture is that health is really just made up of, um, how you eat and how you move your body. Mm. And those are very, very small facets of health. Um, if we think about social determinants of health, which most people don't think about, I was not taught this in, in my um, undergraduate or graduate studies. This is something I learned through lifelong learning and unlearning process, but social determinants of health are the things that are, um, that impact your health, like um, access to clean water, access to safe housing, access to um, education, a- access to non-stigmatizing medical care. And when I say non-stigmatizing, I mean, you go in and you get health care, not weight care. And so thinking that health is really just about how you do your food and how you move your body is a, is very, very short-sighted and diet culture has led us to believe, um, that that's truth, but it doesn't, it doesn't take into account genetics. It doesn't take into the account that some people uh, are able-bodied in this, in this world and some people aren't, and some people, and, and, and they're still worthy and some people aren't, offered health as we define it in, in this, in this world, they're never offered health. And so I believe that if it's not offered to everyone, then God can't require it of anyone. And I think that's where, um, we've really missed the boat with some of these lies and how they get tied up in these safe places. So those are three. There's a lot. There's 10 oh, in the book. <laughs> yes. That's so. why you got to get the book. And I love the title, Feed Yourself. And this is something that really helps me stomp on the enemy is to remember that his whole goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. Absolutely. And my gosh, he is so afraid of God's people, the image bearers of heaven, living in that walking in it, thriving, not just surviving. He doesn't even want you to survive. His goal is for you to be destroyed, for you to die. And so when you're not feeding yourself, you're actually letting him win. And so a small win of today to our friends that are like, I should skip this meal or I should do two workouts or I'm just not going to eat a big portion, even though I'm, I am really hungry. Like I want to eat a burger, like friends. One thing to step on the enemy today is feed yourself, like legit, literally feed yourself. And so I thank you for the simplicity, but also the really, it's really deep, like this title, feed yourself. How did you land on that title? I love that question so much because it's like title 672. (laughs) Right, right. So many, so many, so many um, titles, but it's the perfect one. And if we keep coming back to, you know, for, for such a time as this, my, I was talking through my proposal with my agent who had, she's like, I've been in diet culture. I've, I've done all the things for 30 years and I'm, I'm done. Take me through some of like, let me pretend, let me be client. Let's, let's role play for a minute. And we're talking back and forth and she's asking me questions. Um, and I'm answering her like I would answer a client. And she's like, Leslie, 
on more than one occasion, you said it's never wrong to feed yourself, Mm -hmm. or you said it's okay to feed yourself, or you can trust feeding yourself. She's like, feed yourself as your title. And it, I mean, it was, I was like, yes, yes, you're right. And so it was in the conversation. And then when my clients that know that the book is coming, see it, they're like, I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've heard that before. (laughs) So it really came about because it's something I say a lot and just didn't realize Mm. um, how potent it was. Yeah. I love it. It's always been a part of you. It's been a part of your mission. It's never wrong to feed yourself. And I think of that saying, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And so you could tell people all the right things and tell them to do all all the right things, um, not what to do, what to do. But with the plate in front of you, you do have to feed yourself. You have to pick up the fork and make that decision to take care of yourself. And you are worth taking care of. Like you are so important. And, and it really starts at a young age. It really does. And the way that we communicate this to the next generation, I am not a mama yet, but I just pray for the day. But until then, I am a babysitter. I am a sister. I am a friend. But to the mamas, to our sisters and friends that are listening that have younger siblings and just where they are, they are influencing people by the way that they walk and live their life. Man, oh man, like how can we shield our children and the next generation from this diet culture, but really hold their hand and teach them a better way? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so interesting because I have an 11-year-old daughter Mm. um, and- you know, haven't, I'm a registered dietitian, nutrition therapist. One of my specialties is, um, eating disorders. So I treat people with eating disorders and, and having seen what I've seen over the last 20 years in practice, um, just having a daughter and knowing like, man, listen, like no, nobody is, nobody gets out unscathed in diet culture. So anyone male, female, it, it, it can get anybody, but like, I'm particularly, you know, thinking about my daughter in this, in this scenario. And I'm like, can you imagine what life would be like if you grew up knowing your body was good and born with inner wisdom and nothing ever messed that up? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the turmoil you could delete from someone's life? And, and so one thing we can do is one recognizing ourselves that we will struggle because we, we all live here. We all live here and, and recognize that it doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It's a symptom of living in this culture, but there's hope of seeing it. Like when you see diet culture, you cannot unsee it. Mm -hmm. And so we have to talk about it. We, we have to say, so like when we see the very righteous, Apple with his beautiful cape flying around the kids show and the villainous French fries. Like we have whoa, time out, time out. Like we are, we're, we're doing good food, bad food here. But what we have to remember is food is a gift. And when, when we dichotomize food and like, this is good and this is bad. Um, we, we don't acknowledge that sometimes the food we view as not good is the only food someone has today. So we have to be really, really careful with the 
dichotomization of food. Sure, you can choose what you want and what makes you feel good and all the things. Um, but, but that's one thing. We have to be really, really careful with our words. And we have to call out diet culture. So, you know, sometimes we just think we we just kind of ignore it or don't talk about it, but we have to, because it's in the safe places. It's in the first grade fluency reading assignment. It's in um, conversations between children at the lunch table. And I'm not talking junior high, high school, I'm talking preschool. Um, So we have to really have conversations about it. And even if we're walking through our own struggles, there's still hope for us who are struggling to raise kids who are resilient Mm -hmm. against it. And it's to acknowledge, like, don't talk negatively about your own body. Don't talk negatively about other bodies. If a, if a child says something like that person has a fat tummy, then we don't say, Oh, don't say that. Cause that perpetuates kind of a lie that bodies should all be one size, which is Mm. false. We, you know, like, it's something we could say, like, how cool is it that bodies come in all shapes and sizes and let it rest, you know, let and like, or in how we say this a lot in this house, we believe and in this house, we believe that all food, that food is food and all bodies are good bodies. Good. And, and so like having some mantras, like, cause sometimes a child, children are very honest oh. and, and they're going to say things that might sting a little bit, or we we might feel really unsettled about. But if we have these kind of phrases in the can, like, isn't it amazing how bodies are so different and so divine, you know, just have little can things for, and then we can wrestle and do our adult processing Mm -hmm. um, outside of, of their earshot, but there's, there's definitely hope, but we also have to, um, we have to protect them when we can. Like that might mean like, Hey, I really don't want um, my kid to hear about um, the diet that you're on. I just don't think that's a really good thing for them. So we have to actually, you know, insert ourselves into conversations that could land on ears that could be really harmful, particularly if it's someone of influence to that child, an aunt, a teacher, um, a pastor. So um, we do have to have really tough conversations, but there's definitely hope. And I can tell you the book is like, it's, it's dedicated to, to my daughter. Um, Mm. And it's, it's, may you live a fed and full life free from the grasp of diet culture and may your generation do the same. And so if we can just give ourselves grace for the struggle, because we all live here and, and talk about it, you know, then we can raise a generation that feels like they can live without it, I hope. And hopefully we'll um, get into the safe places and clean some of that up too, like medical offices, churches, or or schools. Um, But I think it starts with parents, caregivers, loved ones, people living in this culture that are like, you know what, that is a lie. And your body is good. Feeding your body is good. Your friends that look different than you, they're good. Mm-hmm. Looking for a way to deepen your prayer life and connect with God on a deeper level? Check out Hi God, It's Me by Georgia Brown. This inspirational guide is packed with selected scriptures, prayer prompts, and fun activities to help you engage in meaningful conversations with God. In just 20 days, you'll discover the power of using the Lord's Prayer and how to make prayer a lifestyle that you can enjoy every single day. So why not join us on this journey towards a stronger, more fulfilling prayer life? 
Get your copy of Hi God, It's Me by Georgia Brown at dayspring.com today. Yeah, that's beautiful. It really does start in the home. I love that that you said this this phrase in this home like you're you really establish that within your walls and then they go live that out at school and beyond in college yeah. and the way that they see their life as a young adult and so i'm even just thinking on to like times that i've nannied and babysat and uh i'm like cutting up fruit or doing whatever and the kids are like but i want this can i have this and i'm like my first response and i would love to change this and i would love to hear your insight in this because your verbiage and your language is so important and they're so impressionable and they're looking to me to to take care of them while mom and dad are out on a date or you know they're working for the day and so i i usually say something like, well, we got to eat healthy. We got to eat our fruits and vegetables and then we can eat X, Y, Z. And I think that can probably be tweaked just a little bit because I don't even want them to see the granola bar as this is, this is not as good as X, Y, or Z. And so what is another way that we can even just frame that for the tiny tots that literally all they ask all the time is why, why not? Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and such a good question. And listen, I've you know wrestled with this as a parent and a professional in this space too. And the beauty of that is we can make it real simple. Yeah, <laughs> we can make it simple. Me. I need we it can simple. cut. We can cut up the fruit, and we can cut up the granola bars, and we can make a snack tray, and we can say, "I trust you to listen to your body." That's good. Because offer both, because here's what we do when we don't. Whether we say the words or not, we've we've dichotomized into this is okay for you and this is less okay for you. But what we can do by offering both um, is take the emotional piece away from the food. Mm-hmm. So it's like we want food is not all nutritionally the same. I'm aware of that, right? but it should be emotionally neutral. So if granola bars are like super taboo or the brownie or whatever, then of course we want it more. So if we're just like, here's the snack, what else? (laughs) We've got granola bars and the grapes or whatever. Then we've kind of leveled the playing field and made it neutral. Because if we have that neutral relationship, then as they get older, they're not feeling bad for wanting something that maybe they feel is not the best for the kids are very literal, right? So if we say something is good, then they feel good for eating it. If something is bad, could they question that? Am am I bad for desiring X, Y, Z? So kids are so literal. And like when it's interesting, because in a lot of um, lessons that my daughters brought home from school over the years, it's, it's very like nutritionally in depth. I'm like, this is inappropriate for a six-year-old. <laughs> this right. might be okay for a 16 year old who Ooh. actually can do this type of thinking. But if we say something's good or something's bad, it's very, very concrete and Mm -hmm. translational to themselves. So what I like to do is like, and I'll say, well, what's your tummy say? You know, like, and like, are you full? Do you need more? And so offering both kind of like neutralizes it. And then we'll say snack time is now okay, snack time's going to be over. And, you know, if you have something to do, snack time's going to be over soon. So get, check in with your tummy, get what you need. And then I I like to say, 
I trust you to feed yourself. I trust you to listen to your body. We don't trust them to be nutritional gatekeepers yet. Mm -hmm. Like they're not grocery shopping. They're not planning the snack, but we trust that they can put in what they need given that autonomy Mm -hmm. um, because then they're adults who can do the same. Mm, yeah, you're raising humans. I mean, you're raising yeah. the next generation to make decisions for themselves. And that starts at that young age of trust, because that's really what they want. That's what I want. I want to yeah. be trusted. And you have autonomy, right? Like you, there's this piece in you. I know there's this piece in me. It's very strong. Yeah. Where growing <laughs> up, if somebody was like, you cannot have that. I'm like, hmm, let I me figure that. out how to get that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we can... Or the thing is, like, I, I like parts of the division or responsibility, which is um, kind of a, about feeding and responsibility parents and, and kids. And so parents are really in charge of what, when, where, or caregivers, adults, what, when, where. And kids are in charge of kind of if and how much. Now, that's not appropriate for every scenario. For example, if you're working with someone who's recovering from an eating disorder, like if we there, we, sometimes we have to say, I I need you to have this, your cues are off. Like there are times when that doesn't always work, but generally speaking with, with children, it's like we provide and they decide. Mm, That's good. We provide and they decide. I love that. And I think something too with kids, my last question on kids, I just want to know all the things because you're preparing in this season for the next, you know? And so when I think about two, when they say I'm full, or you can't leave the table until you clean the plate. What would you say to that? What is your response to your kids when they're like, I'm done, or they didn't eat the proteins or whatever on their plate at dinner? Mm-hmm. Now, it's it's funny because like as a dietitian, like I know how to plan all the balance and all the things. Oh yeah, you can do all the things. But I've also learned that the teaching children, or specifically my daughter, teaching her to trust her body is more important than how many pieces of broccoli she will ever eat. Yeah, that's good. Um, So having her own trust in her body and if she wants to eat broccoli down the road or, you know, and when children are very young, they typically try lots more food, especially like the more we put in front of them, the more variety we offer, the more variety they will accept over time. So lots of variety early on, but it's very typical for that range to shrink when they're older, they have more autonomy. Um, so there, it rarely does my daughter clean her plate. I grew up in the clean plate club and I joke that like, it took me till college to recover from it. Uh, so yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah. Cause like clean your plate and then some shaming comments about people who don't have food and um, you know, which we, we don't, you know, like, and we're not making light of that food insecurity is a real, real thing. Um, but we do that. We pressure. And and what the research says about pressuring kids is the opposite, opposite things happen. So if you want a child to eat, 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 they're probably going to clamp it down. <laughs> they're probably going to restrict. And if you want a child to eat less of something, they're probably going to want it more and end up sneaking. So what we do is try to offer. And then I, you know, if she's like, I'm done, I'm full. I'm like, okay, that's fine. If your tummy's full, but I want you to sit with us and talk to us through dinner. You can be excused in, in a little bit, but not right now that's because good. I want you to sit with us. 
Um, and then I don't say, you know, can you try the steak? Can you have more of the chicken? Or um, there are times, you know, getting kids to try new foods usually means including them in preparation. So, so I'll be like, hey, will you help me sprinkle the salt on the steak? Or will you um, put the noodles in the water? And so, you know, experience begets curiosity begets eating. And so, um, but also like pressure is like, of course we want to do it because our diet culture tells us that how our kid eats is a reflection of our parenting, which is false, (laughs) (laughs) which is false. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like if your kid lives on rolls, then it's not a reflection of your, (laughs) the kid is fed. The kid is fed. So, um, but you know, of course we want variety and all the things, but not every family has variety in the way that we think. Um, it's a very real thing, um, food insecurity in our country. So, um, we, we really fed is best, uh, you know, and sometimes it's, it doesn't look balanced and that's okay. We really want a child to trust their bodies and, um, have a, a lower pressure environment when it comes, you know, comes to food, if that's possible. That's so good. I'm learning so much. I love this so much. Now you keep talking about the church too. And as someone that just loves the local church, loves the body, even though we're broken and we just all need each other and we all need Jesus. Hallelujah. What is like maybe something or a couple things that you would like to see changed in the church? Maybe some things that I just haven't been noticing that us as a body can be doing better for this next generation in the diet culture. Yeah. Well, let's circle back to that first question you asked me about like three lies of diet culture. And, and so assuming there's only one way to have a healthy body, we got to stop that, but we do it. We do it Mm -hmm. in places of worship where we, we might hear messages of body shaming or health, assuming that everybody has the same benefits in this life. And we don't or the same health. So, I mean, I feel like, like body shaming, food shaming. And the thing is like, we come to it very, um, you know, you, you come to these examples thinking like, I think everybody would get this commiserating Mm. around your body or commiserating around food, but is it useful? Mm. Does it point us to God when we're shaming a body or shaming a food that might be the only food one of those congregates has? So I think those are things that I would like to see less. Like I've seen people joke about maybe their body will look different in heaven in terms of weight. Oh yeah. I hear that often. Yeah. Yeah. Uh And so like, and there are times where people like, I don't know what you mean by it's in the safe places. How does it show up in church? Well, when we have diet groups in church, when you are praying over a diet that's in service of diet culture. That's icky. That, ooh, I don't like it. It is. It is icky. It is icky, but people mean well, right? You pe- no, right, no, right, right, I, right. I can't imagine one person who's leading a group like that, that thinks they're bringing anybody to harm. However, we can mean well and do and harm. bring people to harm. Yeah. And you know, if you're in a group of people trying to shrink themselves or eat less, what does an underfed believer do? They, they, yes, perish. Your brain's not functioning well. You can't connect with other people. You're preoccupied with hunger because God doesn't make junk. And God's like, uh, you need to eat. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, it shows up in lots of ways like that. And I've asked people kind of on my social channels, like, how have you seen this show up? And I've had, 
the most disturbing, the most disturbing examples and some like, you can tell someone suffers with gluttony based on looking at them, which was so false because, right, because gluttony is more of a posture of your heart and not how you feed yourself. And it is um, so like these assumptions. So we can see it now. That's a really that's an extreme example. But we also see like really like clean eating plans and like really kind of privileged grocery list to like, this is what you need to do to be righteousness. And I am like, I've had somebody say, I've never seen this happen in a church. And I'm like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord that that is your experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not the experience of a lot of people. And and when we tie how you eat or how your body shows up in this culture to your worthiness, that's a hard weed to pull. And so we have to stop it. Mm-hmm. And it starts with us. It, it starts, starts with, with us. us looking yeah. in the mirror and also feeding ourselves and yeah. and loving ourselves. And <sighs> I think as as believers, yeah. advocating for people who don't feel safe to do the things we're saying we need to do. Yes. Because mm. if you if you're a believer who lives in a in a larger body and you don't feel safe to say these things, someone who possibly has more body privilege can step in and use that privilege to protect other people and bring other people to truth that all bodies are good bodies yeah and all bodies are worthy bodies and there's just so much more to it than like a body mm-hmm. and like you know and health and like god doesn't require health like because it's not it's not um provided to all of us you know, there are many of us who have chronic diseases or, or disabilities or, you know, all of these things. So health doesn't look um, the same for all the believers, but it may, we're all worthy. We're all just as worthy as the next. And so I think some of our messages are really, really ensnared with diet culture, but we can definitely write, wipe diet culture from the lens and we can, we can clear it up. And we, you know, what we can do too, is we can say, Oh my gosh, let me tell you about these last couple sermons that I did for the January sermon series um, around New Year stuff. I want to tell you what I've learned and I am not going to do this again. And here's why. Here's what mm. I learned. I want to see that type of Outlet. here's yes. now we know better and we're going to do better. That's what I want to see. Mm, I want to <laughs> so. see it too. And and so we're going to start that. We're going to start yeah. that and loving our community around us, loving all the bodies around us and the one that God has given us. And so I thank you so much for stepping into this space, for doing what you do, for living the life that you live with your beautiful family and loving on that girl. That is just so beautiful and it's so powerful. And so Leslie, where can we find your book and more about you? Well, the book is anywhere books are sold, and Woo-hoo. I got to re- I got to read it for Audible, which is super fun. Um, That's amazing. So yeah, in every format, anywhere books are sold, comes out on August first, and I usually hang out on Instagram, Leslie Schilling. Um, my website's Leslie Schilling, and I have a newsletter where I kind of send menu like dinner ideas for the week for you know and kind of how to live resiliently in diet culture kind of tips like that but yeah everything's really leslie shilling and books the feed yourself is anywhere books are sold and wow what a blessing to be with you today 
Oh, seriously, sister, same. This conversation has blessed me, and I know all of our friends listening. Woo! I hope you took some notes, but if you were driving, please keep driving. Keep those hands at 10 and 2. But Leslie, thank you. I am so greatly impacted by your story and by the way that you see the world and by the way that you see our beautiful bodies. And so thank you for joining us, and I can't wait to read the book. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all, wasn't that episode so enlightening? It was so encouraging too by the way that she chose her words. I am so grateful for the new verbiage that I now have in my vocabulary because of Leslie's conversation and willingness to step into this space and write this book. Y'all, get Feed Yourself anywhere books are sold today. I am so grateful that we got to share a few moments with her today. And I truly pray that this conversation was healing. Again, it was so healing for me because seriously, we have to speak kindly to our bodies and we have to treat them kindly as well. And so stomp on the devil today by feeding yourself, by speaking kindly to yourself because your body hears that, your mind, your heart hears that. And all of heaven is cheering you on. You are so loved. You are so beautiful inside and out. And golly, I seriously could go on forever about how much I love you and how valued you are. But more than anything, after this conversation, I would just love to pray for you in this area of our lives. Lord God, I enter your gates with thanksgiving and I enter your courts with praise now as I just intercede on behalf of your beautiful people on the other side of this conversation. God, I thank you for our faith and friends community. I thank you for their life, for their story, and for this conversation that we have with Leslie today, God. It was so inspiring and impactful and it really hit a lot of soft spots on my heart, God, but also it called me higher into going forth into the next generation, into loving them and speaking life over these areas that not even meaning to, we may speak death into. And so Lord, for each and every friend under the sound of my voice, if they are struggling with food or some type of eating disorder or just the way that they see food, God, I pray that you would put on your children a heavenly lens, a perspective to see food the way that you do, something that is beautiful, that is fuel, that is communal, God. I thank you. I thank you, God, for their beautiful bodies. And I pray that even as they look in the mirror, God, that they would see themselves the way you do, as fearfully and wonderfully made, as you knit them in their mother's womb in secret, God. You made no mistake with them. And so rewire our brains, Lord, to see ourselves the way you do. Lord, you are so good and your mercies endureth forever. And I just also armor our friends up in the spirit because this world is a crazy and we need you, Lord. So we just place upon us right now, God, our spiritual armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of gospel peace, the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith. Lord, thank you for loving us right where we're at. I thank you for loving us so much that you don't want us to stay there. So thank you for always calling us higher and for disciplining those you love and for comforting us, convicting us, and calling us higher and deeper with you. Lord, we love you and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Y'all, I am so grateful for the time that we always get to spend together. And you know what? This was our midweek episode, so I cannot wait to see you on Friday. And you know what? We're going to continue in another prayer episode for our back-to-school friends. Here's the deal. 
I understand how getting back into the groove of things after a sweet summertime can be hard. It's it's like getting back into that routine, waking up early for school, now you've got homework again, maybe a new semester of college is starting, or you're finishing high school, or you're getting the kids back to school. And so for mama, hey girl, I know it's a new season for you to get back into the swing of things too. So we're going to spend some time diving into prayer together. Things that we can be praying over the school year, over ourselves, over our friends, over the kiddos as they head back to school. And man, oh man, I just really want to spend some time in prayer over that because that is so important and significant. So I hope to see you Friday for a prayer episode. I love you guys so much. And do not forget, there is a song on your heart only you can sing. Your voice is important. 